Vedere classi di lingue. Resseo de classe de langue. Jitsu Gokyo Shitsu. Real language classrooms. Hi, this is the second part of our series talking about David Marsh et al.'s article, The Bilingual Advantage The Impact of Language Learning on Mind and Brain. In the first part, we spoke about the flexible mind, the problem-solving mind and the metalinguistic mind. And in this one, we're going to go on to the other three, the learning mind, the interpersonal mind and the ageing mind. We're up to the learning mind, number four. Quoting from the article again, the ability to retain, organise, store and retrieve information is obviously a vital human competence. Any possibility for enhanced memory function has considerable significance in relation to learning and education in general. And this is the quote that I led the first part with as well. Let's hear it again. But it is now increasingly reported that change in the brain can be found after relatively little exposure to a second language and that impact on the brain's electrical activity may occur even with limited exposure to certain types of language learning experience. This is particularly relevant with respect to how language teaching and learning is designed and implemented and how language learning is valued within educational curricula. That's like yes, yes and fist pumps because this is the turbo charge again. This is showing that it's not just when you become fluent bilingual speaker, when you can easily have a 15-minute conversation without too much cognitive load. Great ideal to aspire to, but in reality, most of our students are not necessarily there yet. Does that mean that the neuroplasticity is working for our students as soon as they enter into quality language program? And the answer now is yes. So let's let our leaders in our community know this. This is a turbocharge of the mind. Number five is the interpersonal mind. Changing our vision a little bit from that building of capacity into the building of interrelationships. Quoting from the text. An ability to see that people have differing or even false beliefs is said to develop earlier in bilinguals than monolinguals. Understanding and responding to the communicative needs of others, contextual sensitivity, interactional competence in communication and enhanced skills in differentiating languages contextually. This includes understanding the world from different perspectives, nurturing empathy and being aware of the communication signalling processes of other people. Whoa, there's a lot in that. For me, that part of it comes closer to the Catholic identity, where we're here to be present for other human beings and our caring interaction with those human beings. If it's only facilitated through English, how much are we missing? 
And even if for most of our lives, language learning is a relatively small component of our formal school education, the fact of being brought into a situation where you're asked to see things differently, you're asked to pick up different signals. I was doing a class last week with some foundation students and just having a chat to them about cuddling in Japan versus bowing in Japan. So I've got this beautiful fluffy plush toy called Totoro. It comes from one of the Studio Ghibli films. And I've been encouraging them to learn how to say their name because that's one of the first things that I do in my foundation classes. And then they come and introduce themselves to Totoro and Totoro gives them a great big cuddle, realising that that's not something, cuddles would not be something that Japanese would normally greet with except for children within the family. I took it as an opportunity to talk about the intercultural competencies that are part of the Japanese interaction and how students can be aware of those differences in expectations and interpersonal structures, I suppose, interpersonal, just the, just the ways that people signal to each other that they care about each other. It doesn't have to be the way that me as a person has always done it or my English dominant culture has always done it. And to be ready to pick up those nuances in other cultures as you move through the world, as you become part of the global structures right through the world. Many of my friends are being employed in other countries and still working in Australia and sometimes even being employed in several countries at a time and working at an, in another part of the world. It's essential that we bring that learning to students' awareness, even if they're not going to become fluent speakers of the particular language that we're learning. We're up to the ageing mind. This is the last of the sections that have been identified in this article. And I quote again from the article. Changes in the executive function and working memory resulting from knowledge of more than one language may slow down the rate of decline of certain cognitive processes as a person becomes older. Rates of loss of cognitive function may be reduced by the greater capacity afforded by the different languages. And who doesn't want to have a fantastic mind as they get older? I'm sure mine will be brilliant. <laughs> so just to summarise again the different minds that were talked about. Learning a second language helps to create a flexible mind, a problem-solving mind, a metalinguistic mind, a learning mind, an interpersonal mind, and benefits the ageing mind. There's one more thing I'd like to talk to you about before we finish this bit of the podcast, and that's something that I think most language teachers can identify with. Quoting from the text, 
There are affective dimensions which can reduce a person's ability to learn a language. These include low motivation, negative attitudes, poor self-esteem and anxiety. If one or more of these are active, even if teaching is high quality, the filter is said to rise and reduce the potential for successful learning performance. Interesting, huh? Definitely makes sense with many of the students that I see and part of the energy that I put into classes is definitely towards helping increase motivation, making lessons interesting and changing the activities and also having quiet talks as needed to students with negative attitudes and so forth. But listen to this bit. This is another quote from the article. The effective filter can be lowered if the language learner's mind is diverted from learning about abstracts of language towards using language in meaningful content. I find this really interesting because I've had some conversations with other teachers about whether or not to explicitly teach grammar or to allow students to discover grammar, I guess, through functional communication. So they're speaking with each other, they're seeing teacher modelled examples of correct grammar. Personally, I want to be able to show students how the language works. And to me, part of that is showing how a grammar system works, especially if I am using language mats or chopped up words to put together into sentences that students put together for themselves, they're naturally going to use the grammar structures that they know, which generally are English grammar structures. And therefore, often the word order is incorrect or there's other considerations that are required to get a sentence which is correct. And we're definitely not looking for a sentence that's correct straight up. We're encouraging students to do that for themselves. But what I find with my students is as soon as they are putting together sentences for themselves, they get really interested, even hungry to know what it is about the grammar that would help them to get that sentence more correct. And if the balance is good between giving students an opportunity to workshop their language, so put words together and how could this fit together, also to give students the possibility of using their language, okay, I've workshopped this, let's use what I've workshopped to communicate with another student in order to play a card game or whatever activity you choose. As long as the balance is there and you're moving between one another and you're not just doing grammar sheets and um, correcting the grammar in essays all the time and those sorts of very traditional, I suppose, grammar translation approaches, I personally have a strong belief in making grammar a part of the language at the same time as creating a lot of opportunities for students to speak with each other to interact in their classroom setting. 
which of course is why all the Speak Up pictures have a classroom setting around them, because that's where we are, we're at school. And it doesn't just mean that you have to talk about classroom things. You don't just have to say, may I borrow your pencil sharpener. You can be talking about the weekend in the classroom and the classroom setting is still your reality for most of our language learning experiences. So, yeah, I thought that part of the article was a really interesting take on the importance of actually functionally using the language, not just learning it in grammar formats and certainly not as lots and lots of grammar sheets and drills and so forth. Then if that also helps to address low motivation and negative attitudes and poor self-esteem and anxiety, well, let's go. Let's do it that way. Let's use the language. Let's see using the language as the most important part of our role as creators of a space that allow students to flourish in speaking language. The article concludes by saying, we can stay with the status quo, which is frequently outdated, or have decision-making guided by evidence and insight and make a difference to the lives of young people in our schools, colleges, and universities. I know which one I'm doing. Jane. Thank you to Christopher Liberti for the lovely music. You can find his work on stockmusic.com. And have an amazing day.